This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Today's show will involve a slight change in that we are not going to do part three of our chat with Dr. Douglas Predney about his excellent book, Overhauling America's Healthcare Machine. And uh, we're going to postpone that a week or two. But uh, fear not, when we get around to it, we're going to do the finale right. What we'll do instead, I think, today is excerpt a bit of a chat we had with actor Norman Lloyd down in Los Angeles last weekend. We're planning to have an extensive interview with Mr. Lloyd. Due to some technical problems, we were not able to do so last weekend. But uh, again, never fear. We're going to do our best to get um, probably two interviews out of Mr. Lloyd, who was a protege of Orson Welles, worked both in front of and behind the camera with Alfred Hitchcock, and was employed by and personal friend of Charlie Chaplin. You can bet that Norman Lloyd has some stories to tell, and we'll see if we can't uh, excerpt uh, a bit of one or two later in today's program as a bit of a teaser for our future more lengthy conversation. But let us begin today's program, as we like to do, with on this date in history. The date in question is the 19th of May. It was on May 19th in 1588 when, bent upon a conquest of England, a massive fleet known as the Spanish Armada set sail from Lisbon, Portugal. It intended to get control of the English Channel and then invade Great Britain from the Netherlands. By the time its 130 ships and 30,000 men reached the English coast after storm delays, the English were ready, and the invincible armada was beaten back, thereby preserving newly Anglican England as a Protestant realm. Philip II, a, shall we say, zealous Catholic ruler, had other plans, but... uh, Due to his armada losing out in the English Channel, England did not revert to Catholicism. And 55 years later to the day, May 19, 1643, the French beat the supposedly invincible Spanish army in the Battle of Rocroi. I think it was clear about by this point that Spain was not going to dominate the world. Which, given the kind of government they had in Spain, was probably a pretty good thing. This state in 1796, calling for penalties for people hunting or destroying game within Indian territory, the first U.S. game law was approved. And here's one I was quite unfamiliar with. On May 19th in 1836, Indians of the Comanche, Kiowa, and Caddo tribes in Texas kidnapped nine-year-old Cynthia Ann Parker and killed her family. Cynthia was adopted by the Comanches and was loved and treated well. She eventually married a young warrior and bore him three children. Twenty-five years later, the Texas Rangers attacked her village, killed the warrior, and captured Cynthia and her daughter. She lived only seven more unhappy years with a people she no longer understood. On this date in 1897, the Irish author Oscar Wilde was released from jail after two years of hard labor. He'd been convicted of homosexuality, then a crime in Great Britain. The brilliant writer of many famous works, then fled to Paris after his imprisonment and died three years later of meningitis. A remarkable wit to the end, his last words reportedly were, either this wallpaper or I have to go. And on May 19th in 1935, T.E. Lawrence, better known to the world as Lawrence of Arabia, 
died in a hospital in Dorset, England, where he'd been taken after being critically injured in a motorcycle accident five days earlier. All Great Britain mourned the passing of this legendary war hero, author, and archaeological scholar. By the way, dear listener, if you've never seen David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia, winner of the 1962 Oscar for Best Film, do yourself a favor and check it out. They just don't make movies like that anymore. And uh, the lucky thing about this is that what you can now see is a restored version. Sometime in the 1980s, uh, several minutes of the film which had been cut were put back into it, making it a stronger piece of art. And by the way, you'd be hard-pressed to find movie themes like that as well. Our quote of the day comes from Edgar Watson Howe, who said, There is only one thing people like that is good for them, a good night's sleep. Our quip of the day comes from legendary Alfred Hitchcock, who said, When an actor comes to me and wants to discuss his character, I say, it's in the script. If he says, but what's my motivation? I say, your salary. Now, we mentioned in last week's program for our stats of the day, we may want to delve into the Harper's Index, and I think we will do so today at some length. Using Harper's and some other sources. But from the Harper's Index, we have the following showstopper. Amount of federal money that went to National Public Radio last year. $2,700,000. Amount of federal money that went to Jerry Falwell's Liberty University last year. $446 million. And no, we don't know why NPR is not screaming bloody murder over this. We'll have more to say about that a little later. Speaking of pathetic stats, how about this one? Percentage change in domestic violence when the local NFL team unexpectedly loses a game. That would be up 10%. And when it loses to a traditional rival, that would be up 20%. Here's one I have to laugh at. Average age at which women consider themselves old, according to a study by a British funeral planning company, 29. The age which men do, 58. Either women are too pessimistic or men are too optimistic, and I don't know, there needs to be some meeting in the minds here on this one. But per this stat, I'm glad to know that I'm not old yet. Of course, when I say that, I guess I betray a bit of ageism myself, don't I? In my own defense, I would say this program has gone out of its way to speak to our wise elders. For example, Mr. Norman Lloyd, whose clip you'll hear a little bit later in the program, is 96, which will make him the second oldest person we've interviewed. And wait a minute, I think third, after my friend Frank Perez and uh, Norman Corwin. Here's one I like, though. Percentage of Republicans who said last March they fear ACORN will steal the 2012 election for Obama, 25%. Compared to the date on which ACORN shut down, that that was November 11th last year. Speaking of stupid federal expenditures, how about this one? The amount the Defense Department spent last year on its military bands, $317 million. 
Oh, by the way, that figure for NPR again, 2.7. How about confirmed number of terrorist plots against the United States perpetrated by Muslims in 2010? The number would be 10. Confirmed number of terrorist plots against the U.S. perpetrated by non-Muslims, that would be 25. How about the minimum amount spent last year treating pet obesity in the U.S.? $25 million. And let's close our Harper's Review with this one. Average salary difference between a starting New York public school teacher and a first-year private lawyer back in 1970. The difference was $2,000. The difference today... $106,000. That's right, the difference between the salary of teachers who do good and lawyers, over 100000 And before the letters came in from lawyers, I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't some of you that do some good, but it's that 90% of you that give the rest of you a bad reputation. How about a few more stats from other sources? According to the New York Times, about half of all people killed by tornadoes live in mobile homes which notes the paper are ripped apart and sucked into the air because of their flimsy construction. That may, that may win an award at the end of the year for our least surprising statistic. According to the LA Times, acknowledging the ever-increasing girth of Americans, the Coast Guard has raised its weight estimate of the average boat passenger from 160 pounds to 185. That change will reduce the maximum passenger capacity of ferries and charter boats. And we'll close with this one. Apparently almost half the adults in Detroit, 47%, are functionally illiterate, according to a new study cited in the AP. Worse, only 10% of those who are unable to read have made attempts to learn how. All right, for our jokes of the day... And we're going to cite a few of these also. This comes from Paul Slansky's Idiots, Hypocrites, Demagogues, and More Idiots, subtitled Not-So-Great Moments in Modern American Politics. And I know Mr. Durst has a few things to say about uh, Newt Gingrich's run for office, so let's quote from Mr. Slansky about the former Speaker of the House. Having married his high school geometry teacher, Jackie Batley, in 1962 when he was 19, Newt Gingrich was eager to be rid of her by 1980 because, as he reportedly told a friend, she's not young enough or pretty enough to be the wife of a president. And besides, she has cancer. The day after she underwent her third surgery for uterine cancer, Gingrich came to visit her, took out a legal pad, and started discussing the terms of their divorce. The next year, he married second wife Marianne Ginther, with whom he'd been committing adultery. In 1999... Marianne Gingrich was in Ohio celebrating her mom's 84th birthday. The phone rang and her mother answered. It was Newt, calling to wish her mom a happy birthday, then asked to talk to his wife, who'd recently been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and told her that he wanted a divorce. The next year, he married his third wife, Callista Bissek, with whom he'd been committing adultery. The GOP, ladies and gentlemen, the party of family values. And they won't even get into Arnold Schwarzenegger quite yet. Of course, we don't want to bash on Republicans all the time. How about this one? Geraldine Ferraro, the 1984 Democratic vice presidential candidate, recently passed away, said that her husband John did nothing wrong by borrowing $100,000 from the account of an incapacitated woman whose estate he was managing because, quote, he never knew it was improper, unquote. Oh, my goodness. I did not realize that armed robbery was illegal. And apparently back in 1984... 
accused of attacking Judaism as a gutter religion. The uh, black minister, Louis Farrakhan, defended himself by saying he'd actually called it a dirty religion. Well, you see how the press can misquote a guy. I think two of my favorite from this whole book come from seemingly forgotten quotes by presidential candidate George W. Bush. Criticizing the Clinton administration's Somalia policy, he said, I don't think our troops ought to be used for what's called nation building. And commenting upon President Clinton's involvement in Kosovo, candidate Bush said, victory means exit strategy. It's important for the president to explain to us what the exit strategy is. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I know sometimes when we do the good, the bad, and the ugly, it seems so simple that it's one or the other. But things can be more complicated. So let's take note of that today. We should note that it was a good, but rather ugly week last week for civil rights in Alabama in the wake of the fact that the Alabama Senate approved a bill that would eliminate language from its century-old state constitution that calls for poll taxes and separate schools for black and white children. So far as that goes, it's good. The ugly part comes in the fact that when a similar bill was passed in 2004, it was defeated in a statewide referendum. All right, and as far as an item that's good and bad goes, how about this one? Apparently in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, which is the capital, scores of herders from the steppes have set up their yurts, or tents. Oh, and by way of clarification, in Mongolia, they're called gurs. In, in Russia, in Siberia, they're called yurts. And in, at any rate, the herders have set up their tents in the capital to protest deals with international mining companies. They arrived on horseback and said that the gold, copper, and coal mining companies were destroying their grazing lands. Which I'm sure is true, and I'm sure is very bad, but I'm at least encouraged by the fact that in Mongolia they're demonstrating some freedom of speech and a freedom to protest, and we wish them well. And finally, we have an item that has to be considered both bad and downright ugly. Which is that a gymnasium in Spain is hoping to boost its membership by allowing customers to work out naked. The gym's owner freely admits he hopes the nudity will attract more customers. Critics, of course, have questioned whether it's hygienic to let sweating people sit on exercise machines without pants. The gym says it provides towels to nude customers, quote, to prevent slippage, unquote. Radio Parallax would like to point out that if you have to worry about slippage by sweating naked people on the same machinery that you're using, you're probably going to want a different gym. We should add one item that is unadulterated good news in this correspondent's opinion, the fact that I was able to purchase some guava juice last weekend that was made with real sugar. I remember many decades ago drinking guava juice by Kearns, maker of so many different juices, and thought it was probably the best thing I'd ever drunk in my life. But I discovered that sometime after that, they began substituting high fructose corn syrup for sugar, and that off, horrible taste that it added just detracted from the drinking experience. 
We look forward to everybody else following this lead. And, of course, Paul Newman, I think, pioneered this by take, making their lemonade that had uh, no high-fructose corn syrup. I think there's a good chance that soon we'll be able to drink the real stuff again in the future without this, uh, this sweetener that exists only because the government subsidizes corn to the point where it is uh, economically feasible or advantageous to use it. Anyway... That's my opinion. And that opinion, like all those heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. But we're sure that if they did a taste test comparing guava juice with sugar and high-fructose corn syrup, we think we know how that one would turn out. All right. The other day I got up, looked at the Sacramento Bee, and said, said to the folks at the counter at the deli, you know, it's never a bad day when you get up and you see a big-time lawyer has gone broke. Yes, article by Daryl Smith and Dale Kassler note that uh, the tough-talking tax lady, Ronnie Deutsch, who promised on late-night TVs to slug it out with the feds on behalf of her cash-strapped clients, is in the end going belly-up herself. Now, last month, the Sacramento Superior Court judge froze her assets and uh, told her not to destroy any documents, but apparently she went ahead and destroyed, like, 2.7 million pages of them. And we know sometimes accidents do happen over at the paper shredder. Who hasn't accidentally fed a couple extra thousand, say, documents in the shredder, eh? Apparently also she failed to meet a court deadline to repay about $400,000 in refunds to clients. Deutsch says she was crippled financially by a December court ruling that forced her to revamp her business practices. At which time her firm's revenue dropped from $2 million a month to 300000 The part I like the best... Her lawyer recently asked the court to remove him from the case because he hasn't been paid. But then bouncing off that little bright spot, there was an article in the family section, again, of the Sacramento Bee, titled, Dining Out with Fido. Article by Heidi Alberti described various pooch-friendly sites where you can dine and have dogs join you as you eat. This kind of thing probably would go over real well with those Geico cavemen. (laughs) I mean, who among us hasn't gone out and sat down to a meal and thought, geez, I just wish there were more canines underfoot? article even includes a little section on dog dining etiquette, noting that yappers and barkers do not make good customers. If Spot insists on joining your conversation, a brief walk usually quiets them. I would suggest a brief walk taking Fido home. Well, don't say you haven't been warned. You can go to Upscale's Ruth's Chris, Scott's Seafood on the River, and Spartaro and expect... Dogs. Well, the three places I may consider not going to, especially on a rainy day, is personally wet dog pelt. Does not uh, does not do anything for my appreciation of the minestrone. We talked a moment ago about the illustrious Newt Gingrich, and you can bet that uh, our good pal Will Durst has a thing or two to say about the former speaker. Hey guys, Will Durst here with just a few quick words on the announcement by Newt Gingrich that he plans to run for the Republican nomination for president. For all comedians everywhere, may I just say, yay, thank you. Come on, the guy's name is Newt. Never in the annals of satire have we ever had the opportunity to make herpetology jokes before. And rest assured, we will. The good news for Gingrich is that he ranks very high in every recognition poll. Bad news for Gingrich is that he ranks very high in every recognition poll. 
Not a lot of folks out there who don't already have an opinion on the former Speaker of the House that is solidified like frozen chicken grease. He comes equipped with more baggage than a Carnival cruise liner that has swallowed passengers from a crippled sister ship. You either love him or hate him, and that's his own party. To some Republicans, he's Moses for having led them out of the desert into the promised land when they took control of the House in 1994, the first time in 40 years. To others, he's Voldemort. Following the government shutdown and his resignation due to ethics violations, some still speak of him as he who must not be named. Dr. Newton Leroy Gingrich, generally considered the GOP ideas man. Not good ideas, necessarily. He specializes in big ideas. Sometimes odd ideas, like when he claimed his adulterous behavior stemmed from the fact that he loved this country too darn much, which some therapists might call a weird case of transference. But with deep roots in the evangelical community, Gingrich will definitely make some noise with his traditional family values platform. And having had three wives just means he's extra traditional. Run, Newt, run. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. And speaking of dogs, as we were a minute ago, one final item. Apparently, a man named Bart Center has operated a new business that uh, is worthy of note. Mr. Center is an atheist, and he's offering to care for your pets after the rapture. Of course, we should note that Harold Camping, over in Oakland, believes that the rapture is coming this coming Saturday. Mr. Camping's family radio ministry has been wrong before. He predicted the end of the world in September of 94, but attributes that now to a a classic rookie error. So perhaps some customers over in Oakland planning to go up with Harold with the coming rapture this Saturday will have to give Mr. Center a call. Apparently since 2009, when he launched Eternal Earthbound Pets USA, Bart guarantees that if or when the rapture comes, he or one of his 44 contractors in 20 states in 26 states will drive to your home within 24 hours, collect your dog, cat, bird, rabbit, or small caged mammal, and adopt it. Sad to note, rapture rescue services for horses, camels, llamas, and donkeys are limited to New Hampshire, Vermont, Idaho, and Montana. This apparently is a well-thought-out business model. Not only uh, do uh, rescuers have to love animals, just importantly, they have to not love Jesus. They have to all be atheists, people who are not likely to be raptured under any circumstances, (laughs) says Mr. Center. He points out, we make that perfectly clear on our website. After a background check, each rescuer must satisfy Bart by blaspheming in accordance with Mark 3.29, the part of the New Testament that reads, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Says Bart, we, we leave it up to the imagination of the rescuer to come up with a blasphemy that would be offensive to the Holy Spirit, but for the record, wouldn't say which sort of blasphemies his rescuers have committed. All right, listeners in Oakland, take note. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Don't go away.
Surrender.